Good morning. So we are, uh, we're finishing off our series in Colossians today. And uh, next week, Jason Bechtel will be with us and uh, giving an update. And then, then it's Advent. Can you believe that? <laughs> Wowzers. Who's excited for Christmas season? Woo, woo. Yeah, so here we are coming to the end of our Colossians series. And so it's pop quiz time. Pop quiz, let's see how you do. I, I think you're all going to get 100%. But uh, kind of yell out, out as I ask these questions. So we've been looking at Colossians and this, this letter that Paul wrote to this church who had kind of gotten off track, right? And so this, this letter is all about, and what we've looked at is that the foundation of our faith is who? That's pretty sad, but we'll, we'll, I'll take it. Um, foundation, that's right. All things, we, we read how all things were created by him and through him, and all things are, are for him. And so we exalt him. We do everything for who? Amen. He's preeminent. That word meant first. He's first in our lives. And so our goal is to exalt Amen. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so our honest desire is to walk in a manner worthy of Amen. Rooted in I tried. I tried. <laughs> I gave it a chance. Doesn't like me or something. Um, and we don't we do this, this life we live out, we we don't do it on our own strength, but we do it by the power of Jesus working in us. And so we look to live out this life, and we have to kill dead now, that old earthly life. And we put on Jesus, who is our life. I love how Colossians put that. Who is our life, that we'd be transformed to be more like Jesus, growing in our compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, that we would, be, that we would love like and that we would forgive others because of the forgiveness we received from Jesus. Look at that. Good job. 100%. Jesus is the answer, right? He said that, and it's true, obviously. And so here we are. We're going to get right into Colossians. We're going to pick up kind of in that last verse that we left off with last time. Um, so you can turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be starting at verse 14. And so what we're going to look at this morning, kind of picking up on something that I mentioned at the end of um, last week that I, I really do believe, and I've talked to some of you, the elders and Pastor Ernest, I really believe what God is calling us into over the next time is he's calling us to, to come together. Who are we as here on Chapel Family? That God wants to make us into the kind of people we need to be so that he can use us. And so that's what we're going to kind of look at this morning. What is it that marks us as, as a local body? What, should it, what is it that should mark us as a people? Who should we be so that God can then use us? And so that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. It's kind of three pieces. There's that, and then there's some practical things that Paul goes into kind of as examples as we carry that out into our day-to-day -day lives. And then Colossians kind of ends with its own kind of great commission. And so that's how we'll end it this morning with kind of a call for us to go out now and be these kind of people. And so starting at verse, chapter 3, verse 14. And we've read this a lot, couple weeks now. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love, the first thing that should mark us 
as people, as Huron Chapel, is love. And that love, of course, we've talked before, there's different words in Greek for love. This is that godly love, agape love, if you've ever heard that before. Agape love is deep, caring, constant, self-sacrificing love. That's the love we're talking about. And it's, it's, it's godly love because God is agape love. It's from 1 John 4, 8. God is this agape love. He's the exam- example. If we want to know what this kind of love is like that we're supposed to have as a body, it's, it's God demonstrates his agape love for us in this way, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8, right? It's that kind of a love. And so the first thing that should mark us is, is love. And it's a binding love. And so that, that word bind there, that binds us, it, it obviously is joining, uniting, but it, the, the word kind of comes from the idea of a ligament, of a joint. And I just th- I thought this was so perfect. It, it, it says it so well, because we, we know in the Bible, it often gives the picture of the church. We, the church, are a body with all these different members. You think all those passages, we're all different members, we have different functions, and yet God has brought us together as a body. And so if you think of love like the binding ligaments, right? That, that if anybody's ever torn a ligament and you know all of a sudden that joint doesn't work so well, right? And so it's not just that it kind of sticks two things together, but love is what allows it to work properly, like a ligament would, right? That my knee bends this way, but not that way, right? You get the idea? And so as people, when we, we're all these different members God has called you to be a member of here, here on chapel. He's specifically called you here at this time, and he has a purpose why he called you to be part of this body. And we all have that. That's each one of us that God has called here. But then how we work together, love is the thing that allows us to work together, right? It's what, it's what binds us together and allows us to function properly, to work. And so this, this is what we've been talking about, that in order for us to do the things, to be the church that God wants us to be, to be able to do the work he has for us, it's not going to happen without love. Love is going to be the thing that is going to be the joint, the ligaments that are going to allow us to fulfill what God has for us. And so that's why it's above all these things. Love is the thing that's going to do all the binding together. Love is going to bind it together in perfect harmony. It's that next word there perfect harmony. It's actually one word in the Greek, and it means just everything working as it should. And so, you, I don't know what English translations you have, but, but um, King, New King James, I think, does just perfection. It just puts it down to one word, because it is one word in the Greek. It just puts it as perfection. I think NIV does perfect unity. ESV, which is what I got here, is um, perfect harmony. It's, and it's this idea of everything is working together how it should. That's kind of the the, the picture, and I just love this. One of the other places where this same word is used is in John 17. So this is part of Jesus praying for us, and I just think this summarizes everything that we're talking about with love and what it's supposed to do. Jesus prayed that, he said, I in them and you in me, he's praying to the Father, that they may become perfectly, that's the same word, perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Doesn't that just summarize it so perfectly? That's the idea of what love is supposed to do. That love is going to be the thing that is our witness. That's going to be the thing that's going to make our Christianity, our, the things we do, real. Right? Because how many times have we, we know of where Christianity's gotten it wrong? 
where maybe we've done these things, but we've actually turned people away, where we've done it in the wrong way, and it's been, you know, and it's, it's done the opposite of what Jesus did. When Jesus came, the people flooded to him, right? Why is it that sometimes our religion pushes people away? It's because it's missing the love, right? Paul says in Corinthians that if you, if you do things, all the right things, but you do it with love, you're just making bad noise, just clanging cymbals, right? Love is going to be a thing that as we look to be the church that God wants us to be, to live out what God has for us, if we do it without love, there's going to be no witness. It actually does the opposite. Love with, with, as we work is what actually is the witness. And it's this verse, I mean, you could do a whole sermon just on this John verse, but you know, that, that Jesus actually says, it's amazing that he says, that's how the world is going to know that God sent Jesus. That's how the world's going to know that Jesus loves them, is when they witness the love within the body, the church. Love, above all, put on love that binds us all together. And so that's the first thing that should mark us as a people is love. And it's the above all. It's the thing that unites it all. Without that, nothing else is going to work. And so we need to look to love one another with that agape, self-sacrificing, caring kind of love. The second thing is in verse 15. Back to Colossians, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So the first thing that marks us is love. The second thing is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. And so that word peace that word peace, it's not just the absence of conflict. We sometimes think of that when we think of peace. It's more than that. That peace, it, it relates to the, the Hebrew word, correlating word, is shalom, if you've ever heard that before. And it's the idea, again, of, of harmony, of everything. It's the opposite of chaos. It's everything working as it should. It, shalom actually has the idea of, every, of, of being whole, wholeness. Okay, so that's the idea of peace. I, I, as I was thinking about, thinking about this definition, I was thinking of how I relate to it, is the, the way I see this pretty much every day for me in my house is after we've put the kids to bed, then Amanda can't relax till stuff's put away. So she'll kind of clean up a little bit and I'll make her a tea. And when she sits down on the couch with her tea, that's the idea, right? Everything's put away, the kids are asleep, the house has been set in order. And she can have peace. And she can sit down with her tea and we can talk, right? That's the idea, okay? That's what we want within our church. That idea, that, that, that harmonizing, harmony type of peace. And it's to rule us. That word rule is, came from the idea of an umpire. Okay, so, so that peace is something, it's like, it's the thing that's going to be the judge in our, in, in our body, right? And so if you think how we come from love, if we truly love one another then that peace, that harmony should be evident, right? That's what should happen just naturally when we seek to love one another. And so if there's evidence where peace is lacking, then that's an evidence of where there's maybe we need to strive towards love in that area, which is what we talked about last week, right? Why we need forgiveness in order to love so that we can have peace. It's also a good reminder if you're in a situation of... Um, where you're trying to figure out what to do, where there is some tension or some conflict, right? Peace is a great way to direct. If you think, what is going to bring peace to this situation? It's, off, it's often a very good way to go about figuring out, what am I supposed to do here? What will bring peace to the situation is uh, likely the wise thing that you can do. 
And then it's a reminder that, like an umpire, you don't want to go against the umpire. We don't want to go against peace. We don't want to do anything that's going to break that rule, right? It's a rule. So let the peace, the love is marks us. The peace of Christ marks us. And then verse 16, the third thing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so the third thing that marks us is that we live by the word of God. That's what that word dwell means. That word dwell is just to be at home, right? That, it's at, that, that the word of God is at home in us. It's part of us. It's, it's, we live it out, live out our daily lives. We live according to the word of God. And it doesn't just dwell on us, but dwells in us richly. Dwells in us richly. And so I, when I looked up this word in, uh, in my Greek dictionary there, there's a word for riches, like you've got, you've got money. We're in that category, we're all rich. If you live in Canada and you make more than $2 a day, we're rich. So there's that kind of rich, okay? So then there's another word for like wealthy rich, abundantly rich, okay? So there's that word where we would think of someone in our day who's rich, okay? So there's that word. And then this word, though, that Paul uses, this was the actual definition, copiously, abundantly. Copious, I'm thinking, when's the last time I heard the word copiously? I think it was Thanksgiving with the amount of food. I think that's the last time I heard, honestly, someone say that's a copious amount of food, or I ate a copious amount of food. But it's, it's like it's trying to find a word. It's like this third level of how richly, and Paul's an incredible linguist, and so he's just trying to get across this idea of how much we should be living according to God's word. Copiously, abundantly is how it should dwell in us. In other words, every area of our life, every area of our life should be controlled by God's word. It should, it should seep out our pores like gravy after a Thanksgiving meal. Kind of that's the picture. It should just come out of us. Our whole lives are lived according to the word of God. And so that is we live and we seek to live according to everything we do. That means we deny the flesh. What we think might be the way we want to do it, if that's different than what God's word says, even if sometimes we don't quite understand, we obey first, you know, that we have to actually put our selfish piece aside, what we want to do, and we say, no, I'm going to be obedient to what God's word says. That's what we're called to, the people. And then we teach and admonish one another. So not only are we looking to do that in our individual lives, but now as a body, we look to teach one another. Teaching is new information that we didn't know. Um, that's part of what I do here on a, when we preach. That's part of our, your, your own study, your devotional time. You're going to be learning some new things. Um, so that's the teaching, but there's also admonishing. And admonishing means, means to caution or reprove gently, to correct gently. And so that has to do with things that we know already. A lot of us have been Christians for a long time things that we know already, but that we're not obeying. And so this is where, as a body, we can help one another to walk in obedience to the Word of God. And so this goes back to, this is why it's so important that we have love for one another and that we seek peace, because if we try to correct or to help one another <laughs> get us back on the right path, you do that without love, without truly loving the other person, without doing it in a loving way, if your goal isn't that there would still be peace and that it's best for them, you think of the conflict that can happen out of that, 
right? That's why we need the love and the peace, because it's calling us to teach and admonish, correct in a loving way, one another. And then the last bit there, we have, uh, Paul just goes into, with one another, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And you can go in and you could really get in and what's the difference between the hymns and psalms and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's just safe to say that what Paul's saying is that when we have the love of Christ in us, when we have the peace of Christ, when we're seeking and we're living obedient to his word, it should come out of us in praise and thankfulness, shouldn't it? We should just, we should want to praise. We should want to worship him for how good he is, for everything he's done for us. And because when we live according to his rules, it's life and life to the full, right? And so this should be the natural outcoming that when we gather together, we, it should just naturally be as Christians with a joyful, thankful, worshipful heart. And so I, I will say that if, if we don't have that kind of a heart, that's an indication that something's off. You know, if, if Christianity feels like a burden, if, if, if you just feel grumpy about it all the time and everything that it has to do with, with Jesus and his life and what he's calling you to just kind of makes you kind of grumpy, that's a big indication that there's something really wrong going on because that shouldn't be the heart of us. We've been given the greatest gift. We should be the most joyful people on the planet, the most thankful people on the planet. And so I didn't key in on the thankfulness, but as we go through, you'll notice that, and you can go back this week and look at it, almost every one of these verses ends with, and thankfulness, and give thanks, and be thankful. Again, because I think he's just, just trying to say, like, this is the kind of heart we should have. And so those are the three things we have the, that should mark us as a people. And as, a, as Huron Chapel family, love and peace and obedience to the word of God. And so let's, that's what I want us to be focusing on. I really believe that's what God has us to focus on over the next little while. I don't know. We'll, we'll ask him. We'll let him do his work. God do his work. But really looking at how can we become a loving and let the peace rule with, in our body Obedience to the God's word is what we're going to be looking at in the, over the coming, going forward, number of weeks. Um, and so into this next section, as I just move into the next section here, this next section is, um, Paul's going to kind of do like a, the practical, how this, when you have this kind of a heart, when this is that what marks you as a body, how it practically plays out in your day-to-day life. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I think it deserves a whole sermon series and some of these things, but he goes into this different spheres of life, you know, marriage and parenting and your work life. Um, but just don't disconnect it from what we talked about. You know, this was one flowing letter, and the point is about the heart attitude we're supposed to have. And this is kind of like, for example, don't forget to, is kind of what he's going to do here next. So we'll go through it. So verse 17 kind of lays the foundation for that. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is the context for the next number of verses where he gets into the specifics. But this kind of summarizes it all. Whatever you do in word and deed, all the actions that come out of your heart, right? Out of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. That kind of an idea. So everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ um, what, what, when we say we do something in someone's name, what we're saying is that we, we're representing them, that we're identifying with them. And so as we go out into the spheres of life that God has put us, 
we need to remember that we represent Jesus in those areas. And, and so this is what he's calling us to. And so we'll look at some specifics here. Um, the first one, and you're going to see it's going to talk to both sides in each one of these. So you notice that it doesn't say, wives, tell your husbands to, and husbands, tell your wives to, okay? This is, it speaks directly to you. So wherever category you fall in, put yourself in there and listen to that. It's not your job to talk to the other side. That's the Holy Spirit's job, okay? So <laughs> just keep that in mind as we go through. And he's going to go through these different spheres, marriage and kids and work. And again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but just to kind of get an idea of what Paul's trying to say here when he's talking about, hey, look at the ways that how this plays out in, in everyday life. And so the first one, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And so I do have to pause here for a little bit um, just to make sure we understand. That word submit doesn't mean servant, doesn't mean assistant, doesn't mean back, do whatever he says at his beck and call, okay? To really understand this word submit and what it's getting at here, you have to go back to the garden, right? In the very first, God created Adam and Eve. He created mankind with the purpose to be fruitful and multiply and go into all the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, right? We were the highest thing he created, the only ones with a soul. And so God gives humanity this. And, and then what's he say to the man? He says, he realizes, but man can't do it alone. He's inadequate. And so Genesis says that God made a helper for him. And again, that helper is really a companion, a come alongside is what the kind of that picture is. And we know it's not like a subservient thing, because God uses that same word helper for himself when he helps the Israelites, okay? So it's actually kind of opposite. It's basically saying, look it, the guys, you're not adequate enough to do it on your own. You don't have it. You need help. You need help. I say, when I talk to young men that are, that are uh, getting married and they're talking about how amazing everybody, we, I know we all have the best wife. So when we just think of how amazing your wife is, but here's the sobering thought, that's how much God knew you needed help. Okay, so if that helps you at all. But that's really the picture, honestly. It's, I think it's the most beautiful thing in marriage that God puts two people together so that it, the plan that he has for your life, in order to fulfill it, God and his sovereignty knew this is, I, we need to put them together in order to fulfill what I have for them. And so that's the idea, this idea back to Colossians of submit is God is calling you to, to support and encourage your husband to be everything that God is calling him to be as a husband, as a father, in his work life, you as a wife have the opportunity that you know him better than anyone. You know his weaknesses, you know his temptations, you ha are, and he's going to, you, what you say has more of an impact on your husband than anybody else on the planet, right? And so you have the unique opportunity to be able to encourage him and build him up to be able to be the kind of man that God's calling him to be. That's what that word submit means. And so you're looking to do that not in a nagging way, not looking to over him, be over him and tell him, right? It's supporting, trusting his leadership and encouraging him, helping him to be the best leader that he possibly can be. And then husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And so for husbands, that word love, guess which Greek word it is again? That agape again. It's that deep, it's constant, it doesn't get thrown off, you know, by little things. It's constant. It's caring and self-sacrificing. It's the other person first. When you got married, you said, I'm no longer, I don't get to put myself first. I'm second. My family, my wife come first. And so that's the kind of love, the reminder that 
whatever it is that you want to do, you have to, as a husband, you've been called to put that secondary to what God's called you to do for your family. Children. Children. So we just talked to your parents. So I'm talking to the kids now. So we just talked to your parents, and they need to work together to fulfill what God has called um, them to be in life. God has a plan for your family to live out, and your parents need to work together to fulfill what God has for them. And so I just say, this is just saying, kids, don't make it hard on them, okay? Just <laughs> trust that they love you. Trust that they actually do want what's best for you, okay? And so just obey them. They're not trying. I know there's, sometimes their rules don't feel like love, but they really do love you, and they want what's best. And so obey your parents, because this pleases God. And then fathers, and addresses fathers specifically, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And this, I think, I think some of this can apply to moms too, but I just don't think moms struggle with it nearly as much as dads, which is why I think the Bible addresses us as dads. And to me, I think this is really speaking to, oftentimes as dads, we know the right thing our kids should be doing, we know the, the way that they should act or be, but we go about it kind of the wrong way, don't we? You know, if you've ever done the, like, smarten up, you know, what in the world was going through your head when you did, you know, that kind of a thing. It's the right, you know, we want the right thing, them to act in the right way, but it's coming at it and often what ends up pushing them away and further away from obedience. It's that it goes back to the idea of discipling. We're looking to disciple our kids towards loving Jesus and being like Jesus. And then it goes on to the third kind of area of life, employees. And this would be bond servants and masters, which was kind of the primary work relationship back then for us. Um, it would be you're an employee, you're a worker for somebody, okay? So I'll use that language and with a boss. So employees, workers, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, your bosses. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincere heart. Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are, you are serving the Lord Christ. And so here it talks about that work relationship. And probably a lot of us, if you think about it, most of us probably can fit into both categories. Often here, there's probably somebody in some sphere of your life that you have authority over and you probably are under authority to somebody in some sphere of your life. And so we can probably relate to both. But there's probably a job, if you're in your working life, there's probably one that's more, more easily recognizable for you. Um, and so it starts right off here. Do it, just obey your masters. When it comes to earthly, your job, do what your boss says, right? You're, you're meant to work hard. And not just for eye service. So that means you're not just doing the things that he sees, but you're having a Christ-like character in the things that he may never know about. You're doing a good job. You're working hard, even in the things that maybe no one will ever see. As people pleasers, or not as people pleasers either. So you're not doing it just for that other people would see and what they'd say about it. And here's the, really the thing that ties it all together. Just basically pretend that you're working for God. Well, you are. You're working for Jesus. That's the reminder. And so if you think about it, Jesus gave you your job, Jesus is sovereign overall, right? It says, it's in Acts, when Paul's talking to Athens there, um, where he says, like, he's placed every person the time where they are and the exact place where they are, right? That kind of an idea. God gave you your job. And 
he's also your boss. You're working for Jesus. You're looking to please him in everything you do, and he wants you to work hard. And then ultimately, if you think of your paycheck, it talks kind of about what you're going to inherit there. Ultimately, your paycheck, the ultimate paycheck, is when you stand before Jesus. And he is going to judge us. Not, this isn't a salvation thing. This is us wanting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the words we want to hear, right, when we stand before him. And so that's, the, that's kind of the idea. As we go into our jobs, we look to... Um, to pretend or to look at it as we're working for Jesus, not pretending. That's who we're working for. He's our boss. And we work our jobs working for Jesus. And the beautiful thing at this, and I can attest to this in my own life, was that as you look to just work for Jesus, God will bless you. You will end up being, you should be one of the best employees in the place if you're working, because all those things that we've looked at, those Jesus characteristics, will make you the best employee. When you're caring and honest and loving and, and all those things, right? You'll end up being a great employee, and God will bless you for it, okay? if you work for him. So you'll end up with those things anyways. And then obviously, verse 25, if you do wrong, just a reminder that you're going to be paid wrongdoers will be paid for the wrong they've done. And so we, we look to be, to be good employees. And then anybody who's in a role of authority, bosses, um, simply treat your employees justly and fairly. Why? Because you have a master, you both have the same master in heaven. And so it's kind of the same idea to help us do this right, is that you might be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and they might have the lowest job on the ladder, right? But before God, you're equal, right? Jesus is both your boss. He's going to judge each of you for the job he's given you and how you've worked to it. You're on the same plane, right? And so that's just a reminder to anybody that has authority or a boss in any kind of way in your workplace or any other area. Um, it's a great reminder. And so those were the practical things. So we've talked about, again, back to the character, the things that should mark us, love, peace, obedience to God's word. And now to finish off the book of Colossians, we're going to kind of send us out in this kind of this, I'll call it like a great commission. And I want us to take this seriously as a church, as we seek to be the kind of people God wants us to be, to love one another really well, to obey God's word, to go out and to really commit ourselves to doing these things as a body and see what God will do. And so chapter 4, verse 2, first thing is prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer. And so prayer is something that we need to do more. Anybody, anybody feel that they could pray a little more? Yeah, I got my hand up. Amen. Prayer. Um, prayer is so essential because it's, the, it's our connection with, with God. This is our communication with Him. We know how important communication is in human relationships, and it's no different in our relationship with God. He wants to lead us. He wants to talk to us. We need to listen. It's not just a one-way street, right? We talk to him. We share, and then we listen. We look for his answer, and we look to be obedient to it. Prayer is the means by which we do that. And I think we need to pray more. Um, so we're going to be looking for some ways to do that practically in our, 
in our church life here. So morning services, we're going to be looking for some more ways to do it more in our morning services. Um, more interaction, so it's not just one person, you know, get all of us. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's be praying together. Um, there's the Wednesday night prayer meeting. There's Sunday mornings. Obviously, everyone is welcome to uh, either one of those Wednesday night at 7 p.m. here. There's a Zoom option. Uh, Sunday morning, same thing, 9.30 here. There's a Zoom option. So some other options there. A number of you are in small groups, um, and prayer is a big part of that. It's another opportunity to really pray. Um, or if you're just meeting with friends, if you're just getting together with other Christians, brothers and sisters, make prayer a point. Another opportunity. Just look to pray with one another before you go. And that prayer should be, as we look here, a couple things about it. As we look to do more praying, be more intentional with prayer, steadfastly. And that's really what that word means. Is be, it's about being intentional. That it's not just, we're not just, we don't just pray when something bad happens or when we need something, right? Prayer should be part of our everyday relationship with God. We're intentional in making time to pray, both individually and with others. And so um, this is something else that if you can, you can do as a practical step you can take from here, from this morning, is if you don't have an intentional, make, do, make intentional plans for a time to pray. And so maybe that's a devotional time. Set your alarm 10 minutes early, you know, so that you can get up and have just a little bit of time of prayer. Um, you can do a prayer list. If you don't have a prayer list, make a prayer list so that you have something to go by. If you're married, you know, look for an opportunity to pray with your spouse. Um, just plan out, talk to your spouse and say, when's the time that we could, before you go to bed, something, when do you have time that you can pray together um, with your kids before they go to bed or whenever? Let's be intentional about planning prayer into our day. It's not going to happen if we don't. And then also being watchful. And that word watchful kind of has the idea of being expectant, right? And so basically that we believe God will answer. When we pray, we actually believe we're talking to God. We actually believe that he's hearing us. We believe that he's going to answer. And so it's not just throw up a prayer because we're supposed to but that we actually look to how's God going to answer. We have eyes open then as we go into our week, what we prayed for, um, that uh, God is going to answer, and we have our eyes open to that. Into verse 3. At the same time, again on prayer, pray also for us. Now this is Paul talking. He's in prison, remember? That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. That's the gospel. On account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. <clears throat> this is really the great commission that Jesus gave us, right? Was to share the gospel with everyone we meet. So here's Paul, he's writing this letter to a church, and he says, pray that God would open a door. Pray that God would open a door. And so I want us to start praying as a church that same thing. God, would you open doors for us to share this incredible message of Jesus with, with our community, with the people around us. And then for you as individuals, um, that you would be praying for opportunities to share Jesus. And I encourage you to get specific. I want you to think about where God's placed you, you know, in your family, in your job, other places where he's put you, your neighbors. Pray specifically for an opportunity. If you know this coming week, that you, you're going to be meeting with somebody, you know? Pray that God would give you an opportunity to share 
Jesus with that person to share a little bit about how Jesus could help them, right? And so we pray for those opportunities. And not just for the opportunity, but then we pray for the words that uh, to say when we, God gives us that opportunity. Which goes back to why we need to be watchful, right? If we're praying specifically, Lord, I'm meeting with so-and-so on Thursday afternoon. I'd love, I know what they're going through in this thing. Would you do something? I'd love to be able to share something, help them in some way, speak some bit of life into them. And will you give me that opportunity? And then when you meet with them, you're expectant. You're looking for the opportunity. Lord, are you opening a door here? Is there something I can say? Right? And then when you have it, you go, okay, Lord, give me the words. You know, I want to say what you want me to say. That's the idea. And so, um, just to give you the warning, at the end of today, I want you to actually write something down, put it in your phone, email yourself of, you know, we're going to take a couple minutes to think about who we're going to be talking to this week, what opportunities you have, and we're going to have just a little time of prayer. So you can start that now if you'd like. There's pens and papers in the chairs in front of you. If you don't have something else to write on, there's a little sermon notes thing. You can jot it on there and take it with you, your phone, email yourself, whatever. Okay? And so a couple more things is with that in mind. Some other good instruction from God's word here. Um, after we've prayed, then we go into our life, and I just call this walk the walk and talk the talk. Now we've got to go live it out. We've prayed. We know what's coming up in the week we have. We've prayed those specific people that we're going to be interacting with. We're looking for opportunities. And so it simply says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. The best use of the time is just the acknowledgement that there's an eternity at stake. We have an, there's an urgency to our message, right? There's an urgency. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know how long we have or how long they have. And so there's an urgency. And then we look to walk in wisdom. And I love this verse from James. Every time I think of godly wisdom, and I just think this sums it up, how we're supposed to walk. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle. Listen to this one, open to reason. To be open to reason, we have to listen. It's more than just, we don't just blurt everything, you know, just try and tell them, you know, we have to listen. We have to understand where they're at, what they're going through. We're open to hearing the questions that they have. They're real people that we interact with. They have a history, right? We need to understand where they're coming from. Where are the hurts? Where are the hang-ups? We're open to reason, to hearing what they're struggling with. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. We do it, of course, in a sincere way. And so we've prayed for them. We're looking for these opportunities in every sphere of life as we go out in our day-to-day lives. And so we walk that way. And then the way we talk. Let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious, again, it's, it's, it's being in an understanding way. In order to understand somebody, we need to actually want to actually know them and care for them and love them, right? That, and this means that often you're not going to get the chance, you're not going to just kind of lay out the whole Romans Road gospel message in one sitting. It's great if you can. Some of you may have had that opportunity but I think if we've all been Christians for long enough and we've tried to do this, the honest reality, we've been praying for an opportunity to talk to somebody and you get a little bit of a conversation and you, you share Jesus a little bit. Well, this is how he's impacted my life. This is what Jesus would love to do for you. This is how, here's a truth from the scripture, something that has to do with what they're going through. And then maybe they change the subject or it goes and you're back to work. And then you pray for the next week, the next interaction, and you look again, Lord, give me an opportunity. You're praying for that situation in their life right? You're looking to, that's what this looks like. We want the Holy Spirit to work. No amount of words are going to change them anyways. The Holy Spirit has to do the work. We want him to lead. 
That's what we're talking about, being gracious. And the season with salt is just that. It's just that our eyes are open, that in our speech, the way we talk, in those interactions, that we're looking to have some Jesus flavor. You know what I mean? We're looking how you're thinking past the surface-level conversation about a Jesus who wants to get to their heart. And what can you say? What is Jesus trying to do in their heart? And how is he looking to use you as part of that? And man, I'll just say, that's what makes Christianity fun. I just tell you, we should never be bored as Christians if we go out into the world with that kind of a mindset, looking at every interaction to be able to share Jesus with people and, and try and find out what's Jesus doing in their heart? What's he doing in their life? And so let's do this. Let's, uh, we're going to take just a, a moment. Um, the first one there, as we look to actually apply this, uh, the first one there is for yourself. Um, you can take that home, just make a note. If you need to kind of do something to be more intentional with prayer, a devotional time, praying with your spouse, somebody you want, you should be praying with. Maybe it's somebody, I know some of you visit others, and uh, I know some of you are really good at making sure prayer time is a part of that. But those are the opportunities. You can I'll leave that with you. But the one that I just want to um, leave us with, uh, with today that I want to do together here before we go is I want you to think through your week here coming up and the interactions that you're going to be having. Um, who is it that God's put in your life this coming week? And who have you seen that God is doing something in their hearts? You've seen there's, there's a door there, you know, that there's, God's at work in some way. Um, that's your in, that's your spot where if you, Jesus called us, when we say we truly love them, that means you care about what's going on in their life, and that's the starting point. You look, Lord, I want to find out how can I be, how can I help them in a practical way? Can I be praying for them in some way? And through that door is often how God opens it up as they open up and share what's going on in their life, that you have the opportunity to, Holy Spirit, give me the words to say in that moment that will bring what will really change that situation for them that we know is the truth of Jesus, right? And so let's just take a moment. I'll just give you a kind of a minute. You can kind of think of that. Um, and then I'll, I'll pray all of us together. Lord Jesus, we, we first off just want to thank you for saving us. Um, that at some point, someone told us the message of salvation and led us to a point where we had a, can have a real relationship with you. Um, we pray for us as a church, Lord, would you bind us together would you give us such a deep, caring love for one another? Lord, your peace would just be evident that as people come in, they would see the love we have for one another, Lord. We want to be used by you as a church. Lord, we want to do amazing things. We want to see you do amazing things through us. Lord, we think of um, 
Each one of us, you've placed us in the jobs, in the families, with the neighbors. On purpose, you've placed us there, Lord, to be a light. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill us this week? Would you give us opportunities? Would you open doors for us to share Jesus to those we come in contact with? Give us eyes to see, Holy Spirit, who you're working on, how you're working in their hearts. There's so many people hurting in so many ways, Lord. Give us opportunity, we pray. Give us courage, give us boldness, give us gentleness. Give us patience. Lord, give us joy. May the joy of our salvation just be evident in everyone we meet. Lord, help us to support one another, to encourage one another, to admonish one another. Lord, we want to be all that you want us to be. We might give you all the praise for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand as you're able.